You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jets. It is Tuesday, December 5th, 2017. I'm John B. from gangreennation.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to, sh- to our show today. If you enjoy it, please subscribe to it. You can do so on iTunes and Spotify, and please leave the show a good review. Well, the Jets are coming off a victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. They head to Denver this week for a game against the struggling Denver Broncos, but I don't think that this is the type of game anybody should take lightly, even though the Broncos are not playing very good football. Look, we've seen the Jets can sometimes play down to their competition. The Jets, you know, not a team that can take anybody lightly. They're five and seven. They're in the playoff mix, but they're you know they're a team that's making the most out of what they have. And the other thing is there are three venues, three outdoor venues in this league that are famous for being very difficult to play and very difficult loud road venues. One is Seattle, one is Kansas City, the third is Denver. So tricky game coming up this week, although a very winnable game for the Jets. They are coming off a victory over the Kansas City Chiefs Sunday at MetLife Stadium, 38-31. And on Monday, Todd Bowles spoke at some degree of length about some of the things that happened in the game. And I'm going to take some of his comments and offer some lessons that I think we can take from the things he said. And it's interesting because Bowles is not really a guy who likes to tip his hand very much. But he did say some things that, that... I thought were interesting, so some interesting notes. So let's jump into to a few of the things he said. Um, I have the transcript in front of me here. And one of the things he, he first thing he mentioned, uh, he was asked about what the key was for the Jets' third down efficiency in this game because the Jets did a very good job on third down in this game. They uh, converted two-thirds of their, around two-thirds of their attempts. And a point he made was... There, a lot of them were manageable. We didn't have the third and 11, third and 10 plus like we had the last couple of weeks. We had some third and shorts, and we were able to execute them. And you know, it's a very good point uh, that Bowles makes there. If you look at uh, you look at the breakdown of the third down plays, 14. The Jets had 20 plays on third down, and 14 of them were seven yards or less. And their average distance to go was 6.2 yards in this game against Kansas City. And I know these are not really numbers anybody really knows off the top of their head, you know, what's good, what's bad. But what I can tell you is that the Jets' average this season to go on third down has been 7.77. And I'm using the pro football reference uh, play index, great tool if you ever want to crunch some numbers. So in this game, 6.2 yards to go, normally 7.77. So full yard and a half less on average they had to go on third down. So the Jets were winning first and second down. They were putting themselves in much better position in this game. And it's important because you have more of the playbook open to you when you have third and reasonable because the run is still on the table. And the more options you have, the trickier it is for the defense. If you get into third, third and 10, third and 11, you really have to throw the ball. You don't have much of a choice there. It makes life much easier on defense. They can put in uh, extra pass rushers. They can put in, you know, lots of teams have guys who can rush the passer who aren't so good at playing the run. So you can get them on the field if you don't have to account for the run. Put extra defensive backs. When the offense is one-dimensional, it's much easier to play defense. Much easier to play defense when you know what they're going to do. And the Jets were able to stay out of those situations. And one of the things they did, the Jets ran the ball a ton in this game. And their overall average was not that great. But 
you know, even two, three yards on first, second down is not the worst outcome in the world because it put those those plays put you into third down and reasonable. And I think it's something the Jets can take going forward. This is I've said many times this year that I think the best thing the Jets have on this offense is the are the running backs. Now I think over the last few weeks I, I have to amend that statement a little bit. I think my perspective has changed when you look at what Robbie Anderson's doing. Uh, Anderson has brought himself into that discussion. So I think now it's the running backs and Robbie Anderson are the two best things on offense. But these things go hand in hand. I like the, I like the backs the Jets have. Now listen, I think the eyeball test shows you Matt Forte should probably be the third of the three backs, and I think he's probably getting too many, a few too many carries. But you know, he's actually been more productive than you think. You know, he can still grind it out. He still has some moves, some change of direction ability in open space when he's got the ball in open field. Now he doesn't have the top end speed anymore, but he's still got a little short area elusiveness. He can you know he can grind it out, get some extra yards after contact. I mean he's. He's not as bad as you make him out as people as he's made out to be, and maybe I've made him out to be a little worse than he is. I think he's number three of the three guys. I mean, I think you, you, the eyeball test shows you that Dalal Powell, Elijah McGuire are more explosive. So I think Forte should be the third guy. But Jets have you know some backs they can trust on this offense, and again, even if they're just you know, and look, this is not a strong run blocking team, but they again, you know, run, run block running the ball has two components to success. One is the blocking, the other are the backs. The Jets have backs to uh, run the ball effectively, even if they, they're not dominant at the point of attack. And they, you, know, you can work around that to some extent by calling zone runs where you're not trying to drive the guy forward, where you're moving, you have your lineman moving laterally. So I think you, know, you saw the lesson of this game is that you should look to run the ball. You know, look, look, look to run the ball. And that's going to help Robbie Anderson out, out because if the other team is thinking run first, that's going to open things up down the field. You're not going to be able to dedicate as many guys down the field when you do take some shots down there, maybe go to play action, and maybe it helps Anderson a little bit. So I think you know going forward, that's something the Jets should consider. I know John Morton likes to ch- change up his game plan from game to game. He, he likes to he likes a versatile offense, but the way this team is built, I think they should consider and you can always vary it depending on the opponent, but most weeks I think the Jets should look at running, trying to establish the run before they do anything else because it just helps everybody else. It helps the offense out. Now, another thing Bowles talked about, uh, he was asked a number of questions about the secondary, and when he was first asked about the how the secondary fared, it was a very simple answer. We didn't play well. And he talked about just you know, a little frustrated with it. But another thing he said that stood out, Alex Smith, four touchdown passes, and he was asked whether players were getting beaten or whether assignments were missed. And Bowles said there were no missed assignments. And that tells me something. Um, it tells me that the while the offensive play game plan was very good, I think it leaves some questions about the defensive game plan because you can't have the... Chiefs' best play. I mean, Chiefs have two really dynamic playmakers in their passing game: Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And both guys got open deep. Both guys had two long touchdown catches in this game. So that leads to questions about how they were getting that wide open. They were, they, those guys were getting open frequently. So I think, and I haven't gotten to examine all the all twenty-two film extensively just yet. So. I can't speak to that definitively, and maybe a little later in the week I'll, t- I'll talk more f- when I what I see after I've examined everything up close. But I do think that leads to some questions about why the Jets game plan the way they did. 
Maybe they, did they leave guys one-on-one -on -one against these two players too frequently? I think it's a valid question. I think it's something that maybe we'll get a few more answers to later on in the week. But I do think that this leads to some questions about the way the Jets approach this game defensively. And look, I think overall you have to be very happy with the coaching job in this game. Jets showed a lot of traits you like. You know, resiliency, falling down 14 points early. They showed that they can... You know they can take a they can take a punch, get themselves off the mat. The offensive coaching staff did an excellent job. The the team did not melt down. The Chiefs did. So you know for once the Jets actually stood tall in the fourth quarter. Lots of to like from this game, but one thing I didn't like so much was the uh, defensive plan for based on what I've seen so far. And again, it's subject to more examination. I always give you my initial thoughts. And those are always subject to change. Those are just my initial thoughts. I, I reserve the right to change my mind. But the fact that there were no – Bowles told you there were no missed assignments. It was just guys getting beaten makes me question the defensive calls. And the reason I say that is that sometimes it looks like a guy got beat, but he was really expecting help. And maybe there was really supposed to be a guy helping him. Maybe he was funneling a guy to an area where – there should have been help, and somebody blew an assignment and wasn't in the place they were supposed to be. So that that was that's why I, I question the game plan now, because now we know that's not the case. That wasn't a case of a guy not being where he's supposed to be, you know, a corner directing a receiver to the middle of the field where there should be a defender in zone, defender in zone's not there. That's not what happened here. So I think the defensive game plan left something to be desired. It's They'll have to examine what they did wrong and, you know, hopefully learn from it going forward. And... You know, one other thing I'd like the Bulls was asked a little bit about Ben McAdoo, the Giants coach who was fired on Monday, and I mean, really, just kind of put out of his misery. He really, he was pretty clearly lost. He was pretty clearly over in over his head, and it would have been an ugly scene this weekend after the way the Giants handled the Eli Manning situation if he was in front of that Giants home crowd. So, but um, he was asked a little bit about it, and he, uh, you know, he gave some pretty boilerplate answers, but. He talked to, then he went on, he went on, was asked about Muhammad Wilkerson and Darren Lee. And, you know, when comparing it to the McAdoo situation, it actually was kind of interesting. He, he spoke about the need for accountability and he talked about that you earn trust as a player with your coaching staff. He said, when, when you make a mistake, you lose a little trust and you have to earn it back. So going forward, we'll go from there. And he, you know, he didn't want to talk too much about it. He clearly did not want to talk too much about it. He doesn't. And there's one thing about Bowles I've learned over the last few three years is he's not the type of coach who's going to challenge his players in the media. And there are some coaches who do that. There are some coaches who like to light a fire under guys by tweaking them a little bit in the media. Rex, um, Rex Ryan did it a few times. You saw it a few times during his tenure with the Jets. Bill Parcells was a guy famous for doing it. He challenged his players. He kind of used the media to motivate his players, send messages through the media. Bowles is not a guy who does that. And, you know, there's not – the one thing about coaches is there are lots of different styles that can work. You can be very successful challenging your players through the media. You can be successful protecting them in the media. Bowles is not the type of guy who really likes to speak through the media. But one of the things that kind of stuck out to me when he was talking about Darren Lee and Muhammad Wilkerson, and it was notable because it came right after he was asked about – it came, came after he was asked about Ben McAdoo – is, you know, talking about discipline, talking about accountability. And he said there are consequences and repercussions for everything we do here. We have rules that we go by and treat them like men. I, I don't believe in beating around the bush. We have our fun, but we get our work in. You don't work, when you don't work, some excuses are necessary and some things you get away with that are understandable, some things aren't. That's how I am. 
works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. And I just compare it to Ben McAdoo. And I, I mean, I think over the coming days and weeks, we're going to find out a lot more than what happened with the Giants. And I think, you know, you line the Giants up with the Jets. Giants are probably more talented team top to bottom. I know they've had some injuries, but they've just really underachieved this year. They haven't gotten the job done. And some of that comes to, comes back to coaching. And, you know, you watch the Giants, and it was pretty clear McAdoo lost that team. And that's I think that's people overstate that. You know, some, sometimes the team doesn't play well, and you hear, well, the coach lost the team. You watch the Giants play through this season, and you watch some plays where guys just don't want any part of the game, particularly you know, in, in that secondary. Then you read about some of the things that have happened there, about you know guys getting fined. But then the biggest star on the team, Odell Beckham Jr., when he does something stupid, when he commits a you know gives you gets flagged for on a stupid taunting penalty that really hurts the team, McAdoo's out there defending them. And I wonder if there's a little element of the Giants where. Guys see Beckham getting away with pretty much anything he wants to do and not uh, being held accountable. And then McAdoo holds other guys accountable. You know, he finds guys, he suspends guys for things that don't hurt the team as much on the field. You wonder if maybe that was part of McAdoo's problem. I understand I'm getting into kind of speculation here. So I do think, it, you know, it's a, it does kind of speak volumes when Bowles is going out there and punishing guys who are important parts of this team, whether it's Wilkerson, who's you know one of the highest-paid defensive players in the league, whether it's Lee, the first-round pick from a year ago, guy, guy who's become an important part of the defense over the last few weeks. And you kind of want – and again, I know I'm, I don't like getting into speculation like this normally, but it's something that really popped into my mind as I was reading some of the Bulls' comments about the need for accountability. And, you know, over the last two years, Bulls has gotten a lot of heat. You know, you hear about how he doesn't hold players accountable. Well, this is an example of him holding guys accountable, and not just anybody. I mean, these are two pretty important players on this defense, and you wonder whether that sends a message. And again, as I said yesterday, it's a very fragile balance because sometimes you come off as too heavy-handed. You know, sometimes sometimes people go like, "Well, well, the players will tune him out because he's too heavy-handed. He doesn't he lets guy. You know, he he's overreacting to things. So it's a it's a very difficult balance. I think in this game it worked and we'll see how it works going forward. And I I just can't help compare him to McAdoo because it's something that's been going through my mind a lot recently is the way McAdoo's handled certain players differently. He's been very very critical of Eli Manning, wasn't so critical of other guys who made errors on the field. It's, it seems like McAdoo I just got the feeling McAdoo was very inconsistent. And here you have Bowles who has his issues, and I'm not saying Bowles is a great coach. I'm not sure Bowles is necessarily the guy who's going to lead the Jets to the promised land, but a guy who's done, a, I think, a pretty solid job. You know, it's funny. Like I hear people say Bowles should be coach of the year, which, I, I mean, I said that after he was 3-2. and two. I'm not saying it anymore, 5-7. and seven. Then you hear people who say, well, Bowles is terrible. He should go. And I think the truth probably lies somewhere in between, but I think this is something... I really kind of like the way Bowles handled things this weekend, where you know he wasn't afraid to take two important players off the field, even when his team was struggling, even when he needed a win, to send a message to the team. And you know we'll see we'll see how it goes going forward. But as I've thought about this a little bit, I, I, I kind of like the way Bowles has handled that situation. I kind of like the way Bowles has handled the team this year. So those are just my thoughts for the day. Thanks for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to it. Your options are iTunes, Spotify, and a couple others. And if you enjoy it, please leave the show a good rating. Hope you have a great Tuesday. We will be back again on Wednesday.